This is a talk given by Terry Virgo entitled The Embarrassment of Inadequacy, Jesus at the Wedding in Cana, and was recorded at Clark Fork City Church, Missoula, USA, in August 2008. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. And when the, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, woman, what does that have to do with us? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. And there were six stone water pots set there for the Jewish custom of purification, containing 20 or 30 gallons each. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. So they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the head waiter. So they took it to him. And when the head waiter tasted the water, which had become wine, and didn't know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water knew, the head waiter called the bridegroom and said to him, every man serves the good wine first. And when the people have drunk freely, then he serves the poorer wine. But you've kept the good wine till now. This beginning of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Father, thank you so much that we've been reminded as we've been singing of such wonderful truths about you. We thank you you can remove mountains. We thank you that you're for us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you who spared not your own son, Lord, would you not freely give us all things? We're so grateful that we are the objects of your love, your delight. We thank you you're so for us. We thank you care for our families, our loved ones, our lives, Lord. Even when our lives get under pressure, we thank you you're so for us. And Holy Spirit, we invite you now, because of your tremendous love for your flock, would you come to us, please, individually? And would you awaken hope and joy and faith? Would you win our obedience out of confidence in you? Would you do a miracle of grace in many of our hearts this morning so that, Lord Jesus, maybe for the first time or maybe, Lord, in a new, fresh way, we really surrender ourselves to your ability to see us through and, Lord Jesus, to be our wonderful shepherd. So, Holy Spirit, rest upon us now, I do pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Some weeks back, uh, our most recently appointed elder at my home church, we've got quite a big eldership team, about nine guys, and he would be our youngest uh, additional elder at that time. Uh, he came to church on the Sunday morning, and uh, uh, we have a church that has a kind of a balcony area around it, uh, the bleacher sort of area, and he went and took his seat back up there, and uh, he sat there with his wife, and he opened the kind of leaflet that we give out every week to guests, which has all our news on it, uh, welcoming visitors, etc. And as he opened it, and his name is Steve Horn, and uh, he'll please me for making this internationally known, uh, Steve uh, took the leaflet and opened it, and as he looked at it, it said, Today, among other things, it said, Today, Steve Horn, one of our elders, is preaching at Heathfield Church. 
And he sat there and he looked at it and he said, Oh my goodness, I am. And uh, he shot out of the building, he got his car, and he drove about the hour uh, to the church. And he reckoned he did well. He reckoned he got there in time for the preach. And uh, he was very, very embarrassed. But I thought that was a hilarious experience to actually be sitting there and read, I am preaching somewhere else. And uh, I remember once when I was at our Stonely Bible Week, which we ran for 11 years in the UK, and it just grew and grew and grew. God really blessed us at this big uh, tent camp camp. Uh, and uh, I, I was about to preach on, I think it might have been the next to last night. And I was doing a series through two or three evenings. And uh, I was just about to speak, and we'd had the worship time. And uh, uh, actually, Nigel was giving the announcements, the guy who's coming in tomorrow, just going through the announcements. And I went and sat at the back of this fairly big platform. And uh, I'm sitting there, and I'm looking out at about 12,000 people and waiting to preach. And, and I open my Bible, and as I open my Bible, there are the notes of last night's talk. And I think, oh, grief, I'm supposed to be speaking in a moment. And I think, my notes, my notes. So, I think, oh, wow, what do I do? You know, I'm looking out of thousands, and I think, oh, boy. And so I just get up and calmly walk off the platform. And uh, outside, it's a big camp. And so people are in tents and trailers as far as the eye can see. And I get outside and I run like mad up to where my stuff is. And I run back down. And you can see, you know, mothers out there with their little babies and toddlers. And think, what's Terry Virgo running around? And I'm going, oh, God, oh, God. And I get up on the platform and think, what's going to happen as I walk back in? And happily, I'd forgotten there was one more extra item. And Nigel was just finishing what he was doing, handing over to the other item. So I'm sitting there, you think, Terry, what on earth are you telling us all this for? Well, I don't often give uh, sermons titles, but if I was going to give this one a title, I would call it The Embarrassment of Inadequacy. All right? The Embarrassment of Inadequacy. That's what we've just read about, this story of this wedding which turns on a frightening little whispered message to Jesus. They have no more wine. There's a wedding going on. There's a glorious event, happy occasion. And suddenly, the whole thing's going to be a disaster. Now, at the moment, no one knows about it. At the moment, just Mary knows just those who are running the thing know. Everybody else thinks things are fine. This is great. This is a wedding. This is fun. But under the surface, there's a huge problem looming. We are running out. I've got no more. And you know, this story is relevant to us because it's not just about a wedding. It's a story about how this can happen in our lives. We're told it's the very first sign that Jesus ever performed. We'll come back to that in a minute. And so the things that happen in Jesus' life are not just events. They're not just historical occasions. They've got purpose and meaning. And here's how Jesus can turn around a situation when you feel, I haven't got anything left. Now, on this occasion, it's the wine. It's a wedding, and to run out of wine is going to be serious embarrassment 
Suddenly we're inadequate. This little village, Cana. I've been to Israel only once, and Wendy and I visited Cana. And it's a little bustling town now, but in those days it would have been a small village. Most people would have known everybody. And this would be the wedding you always remember. Do you remember that wedding when they ran out of wine? I mean, it would have been disastrous. It would have been talked about for ages. At the moment, no one knows. It's kind of under the surface. We're running out. And do you know that can happen to you? You can feel, I've got no more. You could take out the word wine, perhaps, this morning, and put in the the word answers. I've got no more answers. I don't know what I'm going to do about this. I don't know how we're going to get through this. I really don't know. How are we going to get through this? I've got, I'm running out of answers. I'm running out of hope. I was hoping, but I can't see how this is going to work out now. Maybe you feel I'm running out of energy. How much more can I give? I just feel I'm stretched. How much more can I find to make this work? Maybe it's time. You think, I don't know how do you cope. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's peace of mind. You think, I'm, I'm getting really stressed. I'm running out of peace of mind. I, I could usually do as much as you need. Keep on adding things. Keep adding things. I can cope. But I, I'm just running out now. I, I haven't got peace of mind anymore. I just feel one more thing added, and I've had it. One more call. I'm in trouble. I haven't got what it takes. You can sometimes feel that. You can feel, how do you live this Christian life anyway? How, how can you be a good mum? The demands, the kids, the worry, the worry, the resources. Maybe you're a single mum, and that even more highlights the, the pressure. You think, God, how do we do this? It's not just people who maybe look as though, yeah, they are facing problems. It can be someone who looks really successful. Hey, he's a big businessman. Maybe he's got the most uh, paid job in the church. Well, he's the most resourceful. But maybe we don't know that behind the scenes, they're saying, and we want you to hit this target now. And by the way, in the church, we'd love you to lead a group. And his wife is saying, hey, what about the kids? And it doesn't matter what situation you're in, you can find this sense of, I don't know if I've got any more to give. I'm running out. Maybe you're a student and you think, wow, I took on this course I don't know if I've got it. Can I, can I really do this? And it may be that at the moment, like at this wedding, no one knows about that. You know, we're all here this morning. We're really, you can move the mountains. You know, we're here. Hallelujah, Jesus. But under the surface, we're thinking, oh, God, how does it work? Now, that happens. See, some people say about Christians, and we don't like it much when they say to us, oh, Christians are just weak people. They just need something to lean on. You're not real people. You know, Christians are just people who need something. And we say, no, no, we're not. Lots of strong people. The reality is this, yeah, we need help. We actually all need help, even the people who think they don't. And sometimes the challenge is such that it really gets to us, where we're feeling, Lord, help. I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And this is a wonderful Bible story that is telling us that Jesus came right into such a situation which is on the edge of disaster when kind of running out of what you need to have. How do we get through this? I don't know how we're going to get through this. And Jesus turns the whole thing around. That's what I was to be spending our time on 
this morning. I just want to remind you also why John, who wrote this gospel, uh, selected the things he did when he, he, he summed up the story of the life of Jesus. And in John chapter 20, I'll just read to you a couple of verses which explain John's motive. He's very open about it, doesn't hide it. He says in uh, verse 30 of John 20, Therefore many other signs which Jesus also performed in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. I've written this with purpose. I'm not just thinking, oh, what else happened? He's selecting. He said there are lots of other signs, and John's the only person who uses this word sign about some of Jesus' miracles, and he uses it seven times. If you read John's Gospel, you'll find seven things that are called signs. All right? So it's not just the thing that happened. A sign is pointing somewhere. As we were driving around over the last couple of days, you know, looking for the sign. Where's the sign? And uh, <laughs> there's some hidden jokes behind that, but the, <laughs> the sign is pointing somewhere. And uh, the gospel is recording things that happen that are not just, oh, well, that was interesting. No, it's not just interesting. It's a sign. It's pointing you to something. And John says he did many signs. And I've not recorded them all. I can't record them all. But verse 31, these have been written so that you may believe. He writes them to stimulate your faith that you might believe what? That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life. This is a a particular kind of believing. It's not just believing that Christopher Columbus came to the USA or that George Washington was president. It's not just believing history. There's a believing that goes with this that can give you life changes you. And you may be here this morning as a guest. You may be here someone who's not yet made your step of faith. So as you listen, listen with your ears and your heart open. In believing in the Christ, you can have life. Life Life-changing life. It's in believing. So that's why this is recorded. This is why it's here. So here we go. We're going to look at this story. Let me just remind you, this is a wedding. We're told by the historians and commentators that weddings in this uh, culture, could sometimes last days, even up to seven days. They knew how to party, all right? This is a a possible seven-day event, uh, parties that were long-term. And uh, here we are, Jesus is at the wedding, and uh, he's there with his followers, it says. But it's, if you like, a family occasion, so he's there with his mother. And so there's this kind of overlap in Jesus' life that he... Obviously, comes from a home, a family. He's the son of the carpenter. He's been living at home. And uh, he's still in this occasion where his mother says, hey, there's a wedding. You know, we should be there. You should be there. And he's saying, yes, of course, I'll be there. Uh, but also, by now, he's got some disciples. So they turn up as well. So there's a kind of overlap of two worlds. That can happen to all of us. We have our own uh, life, and then sometimes a relative says, don't forget the wedding. He's, oh, yeah, let's not forget the wedding. We've got to get at that wedding as well. And so Jesus is here at that wedding. And the first point, really, in getting down to it, I want to point out is this, is Jesus was happy to be there. All right? This is his first sign. And I would have thought if you were at all inclined to be religious and were saying this is, this is the Son of God, And he's about to do his first sign, which he says at the end, this first sign. If I was uh, uh, 
dictating his uh, program, I think I would say the best place for you to do your first sign is not at a party, but at the synagogue, or at least at the temple, surely. If you're going to do a sign, do it at the temple. Come on, you're supposed to be the Son of God. And that's exactly what the devil said to him very early on. He's filled with the Spirit. He's baptized in water. He's led into the wilderness. And the devil says, hey, you ought to do a sign. I'll tell you what sign I suggest. Get high up on the temple and throw yourself down and you'll be okay. There's a sign. There's a real sign. Do something religious. Do it in a religious context. Uh, But actually, Jesus does his first sign at a wedding. And that's a weird deal. It's like, I am happy to be at a party. It's so wonderful to learn that. Sometimes when you first become a Christian, you think, I'm a Christian now. Can I go to a party? Am I allowed? I mean, is it all right? Now, Jesus was happy to be at a party. Isn't that great? Jesus is not just in the religious part of your day. It's not like, right, it's Sunday morning, half what? 25 past 11, I'm in church, Jesus is here, hallelujah, tomorrow will be Monday. <laughs> now, Jesus is with us all the time. He's, he wants to be in your life, not just in your religious life. He said, I've come that you might have life and have it in abundance. He didn't say, I've come that you might have meetings and have them in abundance. <laughs> I, want you to, I want to be in your life. And so it's so wonderful that Jesus did his first amazing sign at a wedding, at a party. What a place to do a great sign. Please include Jesus in your life. Understand he wants to be involved. He wants to come. He wants to be present. We're not to be ashamed. We're not to somehow back off and think, well, that's the religious section. He doesn't want you to have a sacred and a secular aspect to your life. He's come to be with us. He's Emmanuel. He's God with us enriching life. And so here's a sign, and he's saying, listen, here is part of the sign. I am at a wedding. And you know, if you've ever seen any movies or anything where you see Jewish weddings, you see them dancing. You see them arms around one another. They're leaping around. I'm sure Jesus wasn't some kind of wallflower thinking, "Mm, look at them dancing. He's there. He's at the wedding. He's part of it. He's happy to be at a party. All right, Jesus is happy to be at a party, and especially he's happy to be at a wedding. God loves weddings. God instituted marriage. And the more you think about what is, what's the significance of this first sign, why here? Well, actually, you'll find from Genesis, the beginning, right through to the book of Revelation, the end, it starts with a marriage. It ends with a great marriage supper of the Lamb. And maybe we shouldn't be so surprised that he wants to be at a wedding. He wants to be there. And you know, we often, when we have uh, our church weddings, I'm not sure what you would uh, say in the uh, kind of the formal statements, but certainly in the, the UK and elsewhere I've seen it, reference is made to this passage. We'll be saying about marriage. It's a serious thing you're going into. And it was dignified by the presence of Jesus at the wedding of Cana. And that's often said, formally, at wedding ceremonies. Jesus was at this wedding. He's not just at a party. He's at a wedding party. Let me just say this. Jesus loves marriage. Jesus loves successful marriage. Jesus wants us to be successful. The Scripture says a man should leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And the two should become one flesh. And there's a covenant there. And God wants that covenant to be very successful. 
In fact, that may be one of the areas, perhaps, where you feel, I don't know, that's where I'm running out. That's where we're having problems. I've lost the sparkle. I'm not sure that we're going to make it. And that can be the sort of thing I was talking about earlier, that no one else knows about it. Hi, good to see you. But under the surface, hey, we're really struggling. And maybe like this one who went to Mary, who's a close friend, maybe you've just shared it with a very close friend. I think we're in trouble. But God loves marriages, and He loves them to succeed. And we need to be very conscious in the days in which we live where the modern culture even writes kind of popular songs which say, be true to your heart. And so people sometimes say, well, I used to love her, but I'm being true to my heart. I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I love her now. So somehow there's something very noble about that. Be true to your heart. I no longer love my wife. I love this girl. Be true to your heart. What about being true to forsaking all others? For better, for worse, I give myself before God and this people present. What about being true to that? And so sometimes we get to panic in our marriage. And there's very few marriages that don't have rocky periods, difficult times. But what we don't want to listen to is the world that says, oh, it's a bad time. You need a new car? You need a new wife. You need a new pair of shoes? You need a new wife? Hey, come on, move on. That's the culture we live in. But that's not the sort of thing Jesus wants to bless. Jesus wants to bless marriage. And it says this, this is what the Lord requires of you, O man, that you do justly, you love mercy, and you walk humbly with your God. That's a famous verse from Micah. That you love mercy, it's often translated. But the word mercy is the the Jewish word or the Hebrew word chesed, C-H-E-S-E-D. Chesed. And it means, and it's translated lots of different ways. Loving kindness, steadfast love. Actually, at the root of the word is covenant love. That's the root of it. That's God's unique relationship with Israel that he had made a covenant with them. He said, I've made covenant with you. I love you with covenant love. And that's what Micah is saying. This is what the Lord requires of you, O man, to love covenant love. And sometimes when we feel, well, I don't know, we don't feel much affection at the moment. We don't seem to be sharing much excitement. This is at the time when the Lord requires of you, O man, to love covenant love. To know I will set my covenant before God. I promised we're going to come through this dry period. Jesus can change everything, as we're going to see in a minute. That's one of the areas where sometimes people do panic. We're running out. I don't know what's going to happen. So here we find Jesus is happy to be at a party. He's happy to be at a wedding. All right, let's get that first. That's my first point I want us to see. Jesus wants to be right in your life. He knows also when we are in troubles. He's going to find out soon at this uh, wedding because the next thing I want us to see is his conversation with Mary. So Mary comes to him and kind of whispers in his ear, they've got no more wine. Jesus is shared, has this shared with him. But what is weird in the story, what is strange, did you notice it? It's the way he answers her. It's kind of shocking. Jesus said to her, woman? That's a funny way to talk to your mother. Woman? You may have the NIV. That's the nearly inspired version. (laughs) In which you have the word dear. Dear. 
If you have a pen, you can cross that out. Because there, there is no deer in the Greek. It just isn't there. All right, so the NIV has kind of tried to soften it for us. It isn't in the Bible, all right? It's in your Bible if you have an IV, but it's not in the Bible. Uh, it's not in the Greek, you know, the original text. It's not there. He said, woman. Gosh, what a strange way to talk to your mother. Now, we need to just balance this out because you'll find in John 19, when Jesus is on the cross, with terrific compassion in the midst of his terrifying agony, he looks down at Mary and says there, woman, behold your son. Talking about John, you remember? And he says to John, John, behold your mother. He's caring for her. So we mustn't read too much in to, to him saying woman, because, I mean, you couldn't get more tender than that. You think, Jesus, you've got enough to think about without worrying about that. But no, 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 that's Jesus. He loved. He loved her. He loves us. And so we mustn't read too much in, but it is a strange thing to say woman, but not just woman. But what about the next phrase? What does that have to do with us? The NASB translates it. The NIV translates it, why do you involve me? It could be translated, and it's a very difficult phrase to translate apparently, because some languages, you know, they have a phrase, which if you just take word for word and translate it, you think, what's that mean? But it's, it's a, a phrase that's well known in the language. If you translated it literally, word for word, it would be this. What to me and to you? Not easy to put in print. What to you and to me? It's like, what do we have in common? Why are you talking to me about this? Why are you assuming anything about our relationship here? In fact, when you think about it, what have you got to do with me? You think, wait a minute, have I heard that somewhere else in the Bible? Yes, you have. If you like reading the Bible, and I hope you do, you'll find that that comes out a number of times. One very famous one I'll read to you in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 8 is when Jesus um, approached the demoniac. And uh, in 8.29, you'll find Jesus gets close uh, to this guy in the, uh, the Gadarene demoniac. And it says, Jesus came there, and in verse 29, it's translated here, What business do we have with each other, son of God? Some Bibles translate that. What have you got to do with me? That's what the demoniac cried out. Well, Jesus, the son of God, is walking. This is dreadfully demon-possessed guy, and he says to Jesus, What have you got to do with me? And Jesus is saying that to his mother. I don't think he said it like that. I don't think he said to his mother, What are you going to do with me? Uh, but... But the demoniac did shout out, I guess, something like that. It's like, what, what, your world and mine? He used exactly the same phrase. It's a phrase that demons use talking to Jesus. And Jesus says it to Mary. Think, what on earth is going on here? D.A. Carson, you may have heard of him. He's uh, one of North America's most famous theologians. He says this. The expression is at least a measured rebuke. And he goes on to say this, we must not avoid the conclusion that Jesus, by rebuking his mother, however courteously, declares at the beginning of his ministry his utter freedom from any kind of human advice, agenda, or manipulation. 
Now, this is really why I want to stay here for a moment. You say, why are you taking us here, Terry? Well, I think this is very important. Carson is saying Jesus is declaring at the beginning of his ministry his utter freedom from any kind of human advice, agenda, or manipulation. As I said at the beginning, there's a kind of overlap here. Jesus is with his mother. They've been invited to this wedding. But he's also started a ministry. Now, from his childhood, when they lost him when he was 12 years old, you remember that story? And they thought he's in the crowd. They supposed he was with them. That's a phrase that's a bit scary for Christians to read. They supposed he was there, but actually they were out of touch. And they went running back and found Jesus in the temple. And he said, didn't you know, I must be about my father's business. He's only 12. He's amazing, the scribes, by the questions he asks and his obvious knowledge. But then it says this, he went from there and was submissive to them. I mean, he's the perfect child. Think of Jesus. He's the perfect child. He grew up in that home. He was the perfect teenager. Let's just pause a moment. The perfect, <laughs> perfect teenager. Sorry, teenagers. All right. So here's the, here's the perfect. He's perfect. And, and here's Jesus living in this home. He never, ever sinned. He would have been kindness personified. He would have been there for Mary, wouldn't he? And you'll find Joseph just kind of goes from the story. There's no report of his death, but in as much as it's Mary and not Mary and Joseph, but it's Mary and the other brothers and sisters. If you see references through the Gospels, Joseph's gone. Presumed, most Bible commentators would say he probably died young. So Jesus becomes, well, I'm sure, the pillar in the house. He's the rock. He's there for Mary. I'm sure he would have been so kind and loving and caring. And there's no, no doubt about it. His public ministry didn't start till he was 30. It was when he became about 30 years of age. That's the actual Bible verse. He went, John the Baptist introduced him, the Spirit came on him. So he's through the house in his teens and his 20s. He's there for Mary. I'm sure Mary often said, Jesus. And he said, yes, of course. Of course. He would have been kind and loving the most wonderful son you could ever imagine. But now, he has been anointed. Now, he has gone to John the Baptist. He's been baptized. He has initiated his public ministry. He is now no longer a private individual. He's no longer just a son in the home. Now, he has stepped into the ministry for which he came. It's a new day. He's now related to his father exclusively. Not like a 12-year-old saying, yeah, well, I must be about my father's business, but nevertheless thoroughly submissive to his parents. There's got to come this day now. He is stepping out from one world into another. And it suddenly comes apparent. Suddenly there's this jolting moment where Mary thinks, oh, suddenly you can't speak to me like that anymore. You must understand, Mary, it's a new day. I'm no longer just here for you. I'm no longer just here to do your bidding. I now am here to save the world. I'm here to serve my Father's great global plan. I've stepped into the great purpose that from eternity God chose me to do this work. I'm now, I cannot be at your beck and call now. You must understand that, Mary. Surely that's what it's about. 
So what's Carson saying? His utter freedom from any kind of human advice, agenda, or manipulation. Now Jesus is willing to be approached about the crisis at the wedding. It's not like I'm not interested. The whole story is here because he solves it. That's why he's here, his first sign. It's not that he's unwilling to do it. But he needs them to understand, I will do it, but I do it on my terms. And dear friends, that's how we have to learn that. You and I have to learn that. You and I can get over-familiar with Jesus, which perhaps Mary was in danger of being over-familiar with Jesus. We could be like that. Oh, Jesus, do this. Jesus, do that. Please, will you do that? And he doesn't. Oh, you didn't do that. I'm not talking to you for a few weeks. You know, we can, we can treat Jesus like that. You're a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, yeah, I pray. Lord, do this, do that. It's like, it's like we get them out of our pockets sometimes. Oh, Lord, hold on. Uh, this is my request. Do this. Please do this. Get me through this exam. Sort out this. Help me in my job. Get this house for me. Get that for me. Right. Hey, come on then. Where's this coming? It says, if I pray, you'll do it. Come on. What you doing? What you doing? Come on. I prayed to you. What kind of God do you call yourself? Now, we may not talk like that, but we are a bit like that. Well, I asked him. It didn't, help. It didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. I read in my own Bible reading this last week, Jeremiah. It says, they asked Jeremiah, is there any word from the Lord? And Jeremiah said, I will go and ask. It says this, 10 days later, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. There's a similar thing about Moses. God said to Moses, come up the mountain, I will speak to you. There's this poor old guy. He's over 80 when he started. He's getting up to the top of the mountain. It's like, yes. Uh, yes. And again, it says, I think it's there's also the 10th day. It's certainly some days. I think if I was Moses, yes. I climb the mountain. Yes. After several days, the Lord says to Moses, why? I mean, because he's God and you're not. Jeremiah, is there any word from the Lord? I'll ask him. Is there any word, Lord? Next day, is there any word, Lord? After 10 days, yeah, very clear answer to the question. You happy with God like that? Or do we live in this generation where, you know, press button, add water, What's wrong with your computer? It took 10 seconds longer than mine. (laughs) This computer's so slow. My son-in-law says about my laptop, it's a dog. (laughs) We expect things now. And uh, God, that's our culture now. How long is this car in front going to keep me waiting? What it now? And we tend to that. We tend to be like that with God. Lord, now, please, answer the prayer. Oh, I tried praying. It doesn't work. Well, here we go. We find God will answer this, but he will do it in his own way and with his own authority. God will not be domesticated. See, sometimes we have this view of God. My God this, my God that. We can have a very sentimental view. But the real God is scary, and does things you don't expect. And so we find here, he will do it in his way. Have you noticed what happens? So Jesus actually 
comes to help. But this is how he helps. He takes over. That is how Jesus helps you. If you want to become a Christian, you think, my life's a mess. This is how he helps you. It's not like, well, if I come to Jesus, will he see me through this problem? Yes, he will. How? He takes over your life. Oh, I'm not sure I want him to take over my life. I just want him to get me through this problem. We may be like that as Christians. You may say, no one knows. We're in terrible trouble. Our marriage is in trouble. I'm, I'm, I'm running out of steam. God, can you help me? Yeah, I'll help you. Oh, thanks. Right. How does he do it? He says this. Take some water jars and fill them with water. He gives some strange instructions. He gives instructions that are specific, unreasonable, and require obedience and faith. Let's quickly look at that. All right? He gives instructions that are, first of all, Specific. They are specific. Jesus says, fill the water jars. I can imagine them saying, uh, Lord, um, what do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean, fill the water jars? <laughs> it's like, Lord Jesus, we are out of wine. Lord, we've run out of wine. Jesus, Okay. Fill the water jars. Uh, no, no, listen, Lord. Listen, there's nothing wrong with the water. We've got plenty of water. We're okay with water. Can you hear me say water? Sorry, water. Okay, water. Sorry about the English. Water. Okay? So he says, okay, sorry. I know it's hard to hear Englishmen speak English. Okay? So they're saying, they're saying no, no, no. We, we've, we've no problem, Lord, with the water. It's the wine. We're out of wine. And he says, no, 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 fill, fill the water jars. Now, look, Jesus, listen, 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 listen carefully, Jesus. It's wine we've got problems with. Can you hear me? It's the wine. No problem, the wine. See, we're a bit like that. When, when someone says, I really, how do you people got such peace and joy and comradeship? You're part of something bigger than yourself. Can I, can I come in on that? Can I get the peace and joy you people obviously have? You're part of something. Can I come in? I'd like to know about peace of mind. You say, yeah, sure. Listen, I want to tell you about a cross of Jesus. He died two... No, 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 listen. I'm not interested in the cross of Jesus. No, no, you're not... not, I want to know about your peace and your joy. How come I... Can I get in on this? Yeah, we want to talk to you about the cross of Jesus. No, listen, not, not that. No, no, no. Terry, listen, listen. I'm not interested in what happened 2,000 years ago in some religious world, miles, different culture, years away. No, listen, I want peace. And we're saying, no, listen, you've got to listen about the cross. And that's not. <laughs> Jesus, they're saying, we are out of wine. He says, fill the water pots with water. We don't understand. What do you not understand about fill the water pots with water? What don't you understand? 
See, people say, I don't understand Christianity. What don't you understand? What don't you understand about filling with water? Why? Why? Ah, see, that's another question. It's not that you don't understand what he said. You're asking, why do I have to do what he says? Why do I? It's specific. It's very clear. See, Jesus solves by taking over. And he gives very specific instructions that are totally unreasonable. He, he attacks your ability to be in charge. That's how, he tra- that's how he helps you. That is how he helps you. He helps you. You see, you got this far. You're in a mess. You need help. Help, Lord. Okay, this is the way I help. I take over. I take over. I don't just get you, you know, oh, Jesus, can you help me for this? It's like, like some genie. You rub the thing. Genie? Right, do this for me. No, no, God is not a genie. The way he solves your problem is take over. Oh, I don't know if I want him to take over. Specific, unreasonable, requires obedience and faith. That's what he's looking for. To obtain a miracle requires letting him have authority. When you acknowledge your inability, you have to yield to him, to his authority, to do what he likes, the way he wants to do it. That's the way it works. He takes over. That's how the Christian life works. He has to take over. He has to, he has to be able to say, this is the way you go. And actually, he's going to train these disciples right through a lifetime. That's how he, he'll say to them, listen, I'll make you fishers of men. They're fishermen, and they're looking at him. He says, look, you caught, have you caught anything? No, we've caught nothing. Throw the net the other side. Oh, yeah. Throw the net the other side. We've been out all night. They could say, hey, listen, we fishermen, you carpenter, get lost. No, no, but this is nevertheless at your word. Don't you love that? Nevertheless at your word. Did you notice what Mary said to them? Mary, who could have been so offended when she said, when he had said, what have you got to do with me? She comes back well. She's not offended. She's an exemplary church member. She's not quickly offended. We touched on that two weeks ago. But, but she's, she's brilliant. And she says this, whatever he says to you, do it. Do you know that's almost the summary of what it is to be a Christian? It's an amazing thing. It's a, it's just in a statement. It's, it's almost. It's not the whole deal, but it's a very, very big part of it. What is it to be a Christian? Whatever he says to you, do it. So you'll find again and again. He says to the disciples, you feed them. We've only got loaves and fishes. No, feed them. I can imagine them starting, can't you? It's a little bit of bread for you. A little bit of bread for you. Don't eat it all at once. A little bit of bread. You know, wait a minute. I've still got, wow, I've still got more. Have some. You know, because as you obey him and do what he says, wow, God comes through. But you have to get into that world where you have to say, whatever he says to you. So later on, as these disciples are getting used to this new lifestyle, he says to them, right, go down to such and such a place. You'll find a donkey. No one's ever ridden on that. They don't say, who, what, what donkey? Who knows? What? This is just do it. Okay, he said, do it. Let's do it. 
Oh, there's the donkey, like he said. No, then he says, you'll find an upper room all prepared. How? What? It doesn't say he's ever been there. They, all right, he said it, let's go. Go and throw a hook in, take it out, there's the tax money. They get used to, these disciples of Jesus get used to living like this. He says it, you do it. That's the very opposite of how we used to be. I know for myself, when I was first saved, it wasn't like that for me. I asked Jesus into my heart, and I know he saved me. But we didn't have that relationship. And for me, for about five or six years, I was in a very miserable kind of Christianity. Well, I knew he was there, I knew he forgave me, kept on forgiving me. Give me a fresh start. Thank you, Jesus. But this, why doesn't this work? My life's a mess. I'm often in a mess. Often things go wrong. God, what's going on? Thank you, Jesus, for forgiving me again. Oh, have another go. And then there came a crisis. Actually, it was one sermon on a Sunday morning. And the guy preached. And I just knew God was saying, I want your life. I'd never given him my life before. I'd asked him to help me with stuff. And I really knew he's my God now, but I'd never given him my life. I'd never said, right, from now on, whatever you say, I'll do it. I'd never done that. I was a Christian, but I'd never done that. Have you done that yet? You say, Terry, I'm in such problems. I've got no one knows yet, but I don't know how I'm going to cope. Just let me ask you this. Have you ever done that yet? Have you ever said, Lord Jesus, I'll give you my life. You take over. Will you please take over? I'll do what you say. From now on, I'll do what you say. Whatever. Whatever. My career, my marriage, my money, my hopes, my aspirations. From now on, you run it. You run it. I honestly did that. You have it. But do you know it's like dying? It's like, God, that's a scary thing to do, but I do it. And I was scared at the time. But do you know what? If, there was, if I made a grave then when I died, I'd go back from this flight and I'd dance on it. Thank you, Jesus. It seems such a big thing to say, you have it, as though this trash life was worth having anyway. As though this important person, no, load of rubbish. I gave God my life. And he said, gotcha. Gotcha. I've got such plans for you that will amaze you. Even a trip like this, I can't tell you, dear friends, I was a terrible, backslidden, hopeless, sinning Christian. A hopeless case. In fact, the guy who preached that morning, he was the youth pastor. And afterwards, he became very influential in my life. And I said to him, you just took me apart with your sermon. I said, did you pray a lot for me? He said, no, I did pray all that week for the young people of the church. I felt the young people were nowhere in God. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. I said, but did you pray for me? He said, no, I didn't pray for you. I thought you were a hopeless case. (laughs) That's honest. That's honestly. I thought, oh, thanks very much. But God got hold of this hopeless case. And do you know, within a few, maybe it's 18 months, most of that group were baptized in the Holy Spirit. Actually, because God got hold of this hopeless case took over my life. Within some months, I was baptized in the Spirit. I had the privilege of going back amongst those young people, testifying, because I said, what's happened to you? Laying hands on them, and his prayer was answered. But it was the hopeless case. 
that God channeled through. Because I said, Lord, have it. If you haven't done that yet, why don't you do that this morning? We're going to close in a minute. If you've never said to Jesus, Lord, just have it. I want you to have my life. Not just ask Jesus into your heart. I'm a Christian now. I go to things sometimes. I come to church occasionally. Or as Lee said, lay in bed sometimes at the weekend. You know, I just play it cool, really. Or has he got your life? He said, what have you got for me? See, that's how he did it. He took over. He took over. Or maybe you say, well, Terry, I, I know I've been there. You might say, I remember when I was baptized. You know, when I was baptized, boy, it was such a big deal for me. I really surrendered my life to God. I said to the Lord, here you are, you have it. But, you know, then a decision came along, and, and it was like, whew, I really want this, Lord. I really want this job. I'm not sure you're going to give it to me. Uh, Lord, I'll just take back the wheel for a moment. I'll just, I'll just, I'll steer from, or I want her, or I want him. And Lord, I'm not sure if you're going to, are you going to do this for me? Lord, I tell you what, I'll come back later, but at the moment, I need to drive this car. I need to be pleased. And gradually, what happens, dear friends, is we can start meaning it. But after a while, we start pulling back. We pull back, and we pull back. And now it's yours again. Although you know you meant it with tears when you say, take my life back. You didn't keep walking that way. And now actually you run it. And maybe you're in this place where you think, Lord, I, I, don't, what I've, I haven't got much left. And the Lord Jesus is not cold. But he has to take over. He's not indifferent. We say, Lord, how am I going to get through this? Can you help me? Yeah, I can help you. I can help you. Do what I say. Let me take over. Jesus took over the wedding feast. He gave the instructions behind the scenes. He secretly took control. And not only that, dear friends, he gave them a wonderful experience. He actually gave them back their dignity. He didn't even, they didn't say, okay, you take over, okay, you do it, you do it, I don't want to know, I'm okay, I've failed. No, no, come on, be involved with me. Isn't that wonderful? He said, but I'm a failure. No, come on, come on, I'll make you look good. Come on, just do what I say. And they do it. And the guys say, wow, this is good wine. And there's gallons of it. Each of the water jars contained, I've forgotten now, gallons and gallons. We've got gallons of the best wine they've ever tasted. Wow, you know how to throw a party. Yeah, I guess I do. <laughs> he doesn't only save you, he makes you look good. <laughs> He's so merciful. God is so kind. But he needs your life. He needs you to say, Lord, you can have it. I want you to have it. When we do that, Dear friends, it all starts making sense. It really does. It's not choosing when you will, knowing God in a kind of second-hand way. It's knowing Him. Let's stand to pray.
just to say, it says they filled it to the brim. It's like they were wholehearted. They didn't mess about. They didn't say, okay, we'll think about this. He said, fill it with water. And maybe they're thinking, why? What's the point? But instead of arguing, instead of arguing, they obeyed. They filled to the brim. They obeyed completely. And then they poured out magnificent wine. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to invite you. If you're saying, Lord Jesus, Lord, I'm asking you right now, please, for all of your dear children here as we hear your voice together. I'm praying right now, Lord Jesus, that you would win our hearts. For some of us, we've never taken this step. We've never, we've never said, whatever he says to me, I'll do it. We've never got there. Lord, I'm asking you, would you call some this morning in their hearts to say, Lord Jesus, from now on, whatever you say, Maybe you've never ever come to Jesus and this morning you'd like to know him for yourself. Just come and say, Lord, whatever you say from now on. But it may be that you've been a believer for a long time. It may even be that you have made a step like this in the past at a crisis, as I say, like a baptism. You said, Lord, here's my life. But you know it's not like that anymore. You know it isn't. You might say, Terry, if you, if you knew how, how little I read my Bible, how little I pray, it's not like whatever he says to you. It used to be. It's not like it anymore. I want to invite you this morning to say, yes, Lord. I'm going to invite you to do that, just to step out of your seat. And even now as I'm speaking, would you do that? Just come to the front here right now. Just come. Lord Jesus, grant liberty to your children to come and find you afresh. If God's spoken to you this morning, that's right. Wherever you are, just say, excuse me, excuse me. That's right. Let's just come to the Lord Jesus. We're coming, we're saying, Lord, I want to come back into that place. If you're a a leader here or you counsel people, would you just come as well, please? I'd love some counselors just to pair up with those who are coming. But please don't lose this moment. If you know Jesus has spoken into your heart, so important. A man called Jonathan Edwards, great American theologian and preacher, he said this, respond when God speaks. He said, preaching isn't for your notebook. It's not for your shelves. It's for now. Respond when God speaks. We're just going to sing. As we're singing, please, please come. If God's speaking to you, and then we'll pray. Let's just sing. We're going to sing this song. Now, please come as God's speaking to you. God speaking to you. You come, please. Don't miss the opportunity.
Don't say to yourself, it's a bit embarrassing to do that. It's even more embarrassing when the sense of failure becomes public. It's better to call upon him when you just know, I'm running out. I'm not where I want to be. Just call on him. Say, Lord Jesus, help me. Can you remove the mountains, the problems, the difficulties? This theme that's been with us through the meeting. Yes, he can do it, but he does it by taking over. Why don't you come and say, Lord, here's my life. I give it to you afresh. Just come. Let's just talk to Jesus. Let's come and receive from him. Lord Jesus, I pray for these who are even now being ministered to. We invite even now your Holy Spirit to come afresh. Pray that they might in their hearts even now be engaging with you. Pray, Lord, for childlike faith to come back into your arms, to come back into a place where you lead. I pray for courage. I pray for those who've got to make decisions now that are costly. Maybe relationships have to be dealt with. Priorities put in place. Paths that were being trodden to be turned back from. I've just uh, 
seeing a little vision of something we don't see in the UK. And it's your road sign. It says wrong way. We don't have that road sign as such in the UK. Just wrong way. I believe God's just saying that to some of, it, some of you. Wrong way. Just back up. If you turn to the left or to the right, the Bible says you will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way. Walk in it. Father, I'm praying for some who call upon your name but are going the wrong way. I ask for a new deliberate obedience to you. Even when it seems not to make sense, when we would, we would describe the problem differently, we would say, I've got no problem there. But Jesus, you know where the problems are. And I ask for obedience based on faith. I ask for confidence in your love and your ability to meet our needs, to sort out our problems, to rescue us from our terrible emergencies and embarrassment. Please come, Lord, I pray. I pray for any here who feel themselves on the edge, on the edge of some terribly embarrassing thing that no one else knows about yet, but we don't know how long we can carry on. Lord Jesus, come. Help them obey you in a new way and find you absolutely faithful. We do acknowledge that you're not our genie, you're our God. We want to serve you and follow you. Please win our joyful obedience here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Our meeting is over. God bless you. You may be waiting for people being prayed for. I guess there's coffee and stuff. But God bless you. It's been great to be with you. God bless you as you press forward.